The Bar Star Podcast is a show that aims for something a little different. It's hosted by a drummer who thinks he's a musician. But let's be honest, I know and you know that drummers are not musicians, right? Or are they? Hang on a second, who wrote this crap? This is garbage. Nobody's gonna listen to a show put on by somebody they haven't heard of. Star Podcast. I am your host, Stephen O'Reilly. I want to thank you guys for coming back once again to hang out with me. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode with Angel Lisi. I usually never reference last week's shows or previous shows like that, but Angela's was really, really cool. She's an awesome chick and she kicks a lot of ass and you need to go check out all her bands. Please make sure you check out my sponsor, Prophecy Inc., located in the beautiful Highlands in Louisville, Kentucky. Make sure you go in, mention the Bar Star Podcast, you will get 10% off your tattoo by any artist in the shop. You need to see Travis, but whatever. They have great artists there. I'm just partial to Travis. He's done all my work. I hope everybody had a good week. I hope everybody is doing well. And as always, I hope you guys went out and did some shit. I am not flying solo today. I am hanging out with my buddy who I don't really know super well but i know well enough to hug his neck and kiss him on the cheek (laughs) (laughs) that's better than hitting me when you see me (laughs) (laughs) would never hit you except that one time you're right i am hanging out with the badass guitar player and badass singer a multi-talented beautiful man i want mr brian white Hey, Steven. What's going on? Not much. How man. are you, sir? I'm doing great, thanks. Awesome. How's things? How's life? Everything's good. I can't complain. I'm uh, I'm doing what I love doing, and I'm hanging out with my friend tonight, and uh, on many nights playing music. And, that is true. That is and true. so it's not such a not such a bad life. No, it's not. So let's give a brief history for the listeners that may not know, uh, which is most of them, because a lot of people don't know this. You and I have not known each other that long. That's true. We met. I want to say. A little over a year ago, we did Wicks Goose Creek. Yep, Wicks Goose Creek. We did uh, FCK together. Mm-hmm. You were playing acoustic. I was playing full kit. That was the first time we played together, and yep. that was one of the last times we talked to each other until I called you with an emergency. Right. I was putting together a duo in three or four hours before I was supposed to have the first gig. The guitar player canceled on me. <laughs> So I called everybody in my fucking phone, and Murphy said, Ryan Murphy, hashtag RMT. Ryan Murphy said, you know what that means, right? Uh, I, everybody says it when they're talking about Ryan, Ryan Murphy time. Ryan yeah. Murphy time. All That's right. what that is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> makes sense. Now you can text him and go, hashtag RMT. The last gig we did together, I showed up, and he was on time. He was all set up, and everybody was busting his balls about RMT. <laughs> and I'm like, damn, dude, you're all set up, ready to go. And he's like, I don't know what that means. Oh, yeah, he knew what it meant, but he was like, you're always busting my balls. I'm always on time, man. I'm like, all right. <laughs> you're on Ryan time. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we... Um, you came out that night to, I think it was a blind squirrel, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. You totally saved my ass. And we formed a duo called Cliff Notes. Yes. And we've played a handful of shows. I wouldn't say we've played a shit ton, but we've played a handful. Yeah. Uh, gotten to know each other, and you're a 
phenomenal fucking guitar player. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And that is one of the reasons why I wanted you on the show, because I don't know if a lot of people realize how good you are. <laughs> I realize how good you are, because to do what we do with just the two of us, yeah. and you're playing an acoustic and singing, because I can't sing for shit. You give me the note, I go, I need a note. <laughs> I can kind of hit it and hold it for a minute, but I'm just singing on my own. I suck at it. I'm not wired that way. Yeah. Besides people not knowing, may not know how good you are, I should say. I think you're interesting and fascinating because you came here from California. I did. And this is where I shut up. Go. (laughs) (laughs) When did Uh, you move here? First, I'm going to come over here every night with compliments like that. I'm kidding. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes better than going home and saying, honey, take out the trash. The dogs need fed. So true. So, no, um, I uh, you've covered a lot there, um, and it was great getting a call from you. And I got to say, man, one of the things that I've always lived by is you know a friend in need is oh, a friend absolutely. indeed. And yeah. when someone's backed into a corner, um, I've been there. And it when you sucks. have no one to bail you out, you know. So when you called me, I just looked at my schedule and I was like, well. I got to teach till this, you know, until and I said, can you move it back a half an hour? And you were like, yes, I'll figure it out. So <laughs> we worked it out and I we showed did. up and, and I went over there. And then going back, we went when we met at um, uh, Wicks. Uh, yeah, Wicks Goose Creek. I was running in and I just didn't even have a chance to look back there. I was like, hi, because I was doing a gig right oh, before yeah, yeah, I yeah. got there. Yep, and then right. it was doing a double that night. So I show up and I'm throwing my stuff together, trying to plug everything in. And before yep. I knew it, you know, we're off and running. Yep. And I just looked back when I heard you play and I was like, damn, that guy's good, man. So it Thank was you. great meeting you on the, on the stage. Yeah, that, we literally, really... literally, <laughs> there's there it one. Is. <laughs> we, there it is. We, we did. We met on stage. Mm-hmm. We were already set up. You flew in probably five minutes before we were getting ready to play. Yeah. You set your rig up and we were off and running. Yeah, rig good to go. Yep. So we literally met on stage. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So to your other question, uh, where am I from? Is there something about music? You moved here from California. I did. Because you played music in California, right? I did. Okay. Yeah. I uh, did a lot of the singer-songwriter stuff out there. Um, I got my start. I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. Gotcha. And when I graduated uh, art school, uh, I left that summer and moved to California uh, with $200 in my pocket, two suitcases, and two guitars. In one suitcase, I had a 100-watt uh, Music Man RD <laughs> head. That was it. That was the whole, took up the whole suitcase, man. Are you and, telling me you were a statistic I, <laughs> and moved to LA with 200, 200 bucks in my, on a Greyhound bus? No lie, man. <laughs> It was like I just kept saying failure is not an option. Well, you know, you gotta you gotta determine your own success and you gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah, I get it. So I I left and I made it out there and I played music out there. Uh, I really played a lot more in Columbus and as a kid and in college, I played a lot in the bars, R and B bands and blues bands. Where did you go to college? Columbus College of Art and Design. So okay. I, I graduated. So I was going to ask you if it was a music school. No, it was an art school. And Very I, cool. I'm an illust- illustrator and graphic designer. Um, I call myself a recovering graphic designer because I, I've. <laughs> every now and then they try and pull me back in and suck me in, and I, I, I have to turn them down. Uh, I've been doing that for a long time and did it professionally for many years. And that's kind of what kept me afloat in LA. Gotcha. Um, financially. And then I'd go gig on the weekends and gotcha. then do a lot of singer songwriter showcases uh, for BMI and 
uh, up on the strip and at the gig and all over town. And then, well, what time period were you in LA? At the tail end of the uh, the hair metal movement, so I moved there in '88. So you got to see the Sunset Strip. At oh, the end of the glory the, days? Yeah, the real sunset strip. <laughs> the real sunset strip. <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, lived uh, in, at the time, Thousand Oaks, and uh, my brother, who's also a rocker, he uh, he said, you only need this one one road, the 101 will take you to Hollywood and it'll bring you home. And I'm, I said, well, I might need more than that, but thanks for the advice. <laughs> um, so I learned how to get to Hollywood and I would go down there and hang out. Uh, I had a buddy, Simon, who lives in Texas. Hey, Simon. Um, and he and I would go down and hang out on the Sunset Strip and go to all the clubs. Gazzari's, well, that's down on Santa Monica, but um, uh, the Whiskey and the Roxy and we would hang out at the Rainbow Bar and grill right there nice. and it was just like and everybody had black leather and spiked hair and and it was just a, it was a scene it was really cool i really enjoyed that that time um and the other thing that i would i love doing when, i love you <laughs> when i wasn't i wasn't yeah. looking for work or, or or playing or what i is hang out at the comedy uh store eat, oh the comedy eat. store yeah nice that was i i didn't have a you know a whole lot of people i knew out there so on a friday night i was like well i could go down to the comedy store and for 20 bucks i could sit there all night and watch comedian after comedian after comedian yep. so and you know i racked up my list of the greats along the way nice uh, including you know richard Pryor, jay leto david letterman dice was a regular there dom Arrer. it's like i i just love comedy but uh, that was a another thing i used to do uh is just hang out there at the comedy nice. store that's so that's see, the time period and that's why you get all my comedy references when i throw, yeah, yeah. When i say dumb shit and you'll turn around and look at me and go that's so and so i'm like yeah. yes yeah. you know this <laughs> now i know why yeah because mm, you hung fan. out at the comedy store yeah yeah. Yeah. And I the just, improv and the Laugh Factory. Laugh Factory was in Pasadena. Yeah, where's the Laugh Factory? Now? The Ice House was in Pasadena. Laugh Factory is there and a little further down the road. But yes, I, I, I've only known that because I've never been to LA. I've only known that just from the comedians I've I follow and listen to and all that shit. Yeah. Um, I totally had a fucking brain fart. I was going somewhere. That's all good. Where was I going? See, this is the part where I just set the. Debate in my head if I'm going to edit this out or not. <laughs> maybe I will. Maybe I won't. Well, I'm all about self-deprecation and throwing myself under the bus because it's my fucking show. Um, no, I was the the reason I was I was hesitating is there's I, I always talk about I, I've only talked about it on the show once or twice. There's always two places I've been scared to move, and it's not fear of failure. It's fear of being a statistic and fear of not having food. Yeah, because I. I started so late. Yeah. If I'd have started earlier and I could have moved when yeah. I was 20, yeah. I'd have fucking done it like that. Yeah. But I didn't get good till I was in my mid-20s. So by then I'm going, fuck, because I got married at 20. My first marriage, I was married at 22. Wow. So by the time I was 24, 25, I mean, I had a, a wife, I had a, the job and all this bullshit, and I was starting to finally get good at being a drummer because I started so late and I was like, well, fuck, I can't move now. Yeah. I can't leave my wife and all that dumb shit. Hindsight being 2020, I should have left that bitch, but whatever. But that's where LA and, and Nashville were always the two places. Well, I moved to LA to be in LA because I fell in love with it. We went out there on a family trip when I was 15 years old. Right. And I fell in love with it. I knew the day that I could, I was going to move to LA. Gotcha. And another thing that I think I, people, you know, say, well, you move there to do something, to be a star or whatnot. I've always thought that that was rather peculiar. I've never, uh, in my 
life. I've never wanted to be a quote unquote star. My dad, right. my dad was a, a local celebrity in Columbus, and I saw what fame could do in terms of um, people coming up to you all the time. He's incredibly right. successful. He's been in television for fifty years, and it's everywhere we went. Really, somebody wanted to know. You know, to say something to him, to, to talk to him. We couldn't gotcha. have dinner, you know. So I saw that part of fame, you know, even on the local level. And I thought, eh, I don't want that. But what I love is music. And all I've ever wanted to do right. is be a musician and play guitar. So right. in whatever capacity that, that you know, I, I could. Whether it's in a, you know, an ensemble, a small band, a large band playing solo. I just love music that much. So to right. me, it was just a perfect opportunity to be where I wanted to be. Uh, to give it a go because I wrote songs and to see if I can get into a band and also do my art. And so, gotcha. you know, I figured if I was starving, I might as well be starving in the sunshine by the beach. <laughs> <laughs> so, if I'm going to starve, I might as well like where I'm starving. Yeah, exactly. So that's, I made a go of it. And uh, so, no, that, that makes no regrets. Sense. No, that makes complete sense. So I take back my statistic remark because you didn't go out there to be a star. So you were a half a statistic because you did go out there with only 200 bucks in your pocket and your yeah. guitar. Yeah, that's two guitars. Yeah. <laughs> two guitars. Yeah. Right. Um, let's circle back. What do you mean your dad was in television for 50 years? See, this is why I love this show. I learn <laughs> shit about my friends. It's fantastic. Yeah, he started out uh, in the early days of television. He, he is uh, still a musician. And he um, when he was in college and around that time, he was playing a lot of music. And he was playing the circuit uh, through Greenwich Village up in New York. Gotcha. And um, Cleveland and Detroit. And there's a, a town called Steubenville in Ohio. And the, there was this whole circuit that these old folk guys used to play and a lot of them were like mafia owned clubs there's some great stories that you hear out of these yes. that area and that era yes. um and uh they would do the circuit and my dad had uh, a, a band called the capstans and they would do that circuit and um he met a lot of people along the way and then he came back and he had a family and then he got a job um he had my oldest brother and then he got a job um at the television station early on uh in the infancy of television and um, then he just worked his way you know literally up the literally good job (laughs) high five in the microphone good job up the ladder so um at the end of his 50 year career in in uh at uh, that same station wbns tv he um was a public affairs director and uh basically he's uh in I just I think the world of my dad and I'm so inspired by him. He actually started uh, what's called the Adoption Show, and you see it now all over the, uh, the country. He it's where he used his leverage and his pull um, in the television station to right. affect community community change oh, so nice. he found um like children's hospital miracle network telethon right he was one of the founding members of that no shit yeah so and That's then awesome. the adoption show and then he was also on the air anybody who's like 35 or older uh, would know him as a puppeteer on a, t- a television show called Lucy's Toy Shop. When I was a kid, everybody knew Lucy's Toy Shop. It was kind of like Captain Kangaroo and Sesame Street and gotcha. Mr. Rogers, but they had puppets and gotcha. a character in any way. Um, he was. Tell me they had puppets again. What? Tell me they had puppets again. They had puppets. Because you went like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see. I'm using my hand to create the puppet mind. <laughs> so We were being too nice to each other. I had to throw you into the bus for Yeah, time. that's that. that why, we, I wouldn't expect anything less from you. <laughs> or anything more, for that matter. True. True. Very 
very true. I am what so, I am. So no, anyway, I'm just talking awesome, about my old man. No, 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 no uh, that's cool. He was a musician, awesome. and I grew up around music. And then um, my oldest brother is a musician as well. And so I grew up, uh, he was that influence of hearing all this different stuff in my house is kind of what led me to be able to kind of go into different styles. I love right. You know, everything from classic jazz or classical music. Um, true, true. Uh, I grew up playing violin. I started playing violin when I was seven. So I still play, uh, not as much as I used to. But um, I think you told me that before. I think, you, I think I remember you telling me that. And the reason I said true, true is because when we're even when we're doing the duo, I'll look over at you and you'll be playing something. And I'm just going, what the fuck? God, fuck that guy. He's so good. No. Because you'll pull out some weird shit and it's... I just don't get it. <laughs> Whatever. I'm like, hey, he's going to pull out a guitar with some nylon strings in a second. Yeah, I, I can, feel it coming. I, it, I can do that. But um. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, a lot of different influences growing up. And so then I just kind of started to absorb. My oldest brother was um, seriously into um, rock and roll. And he turned me on to Hendrix and Rick Derringer, Edgar Winter, Johnny Winter. Those are his, his go-to favorites. And then... Right. Um, um, Zeppelin, you know, all those classic rock bands. And I right. grew up with that. And then I also, my dad on Sundays would be listening to classical music and during the evenings would listen to jazz. And then my brother and I got into the Beatles. My, my middle brother, Michael, and I got into the Beatles and uh, like rock and roll, you know. So there's three of you? Three yeah. boys? three boys. And you all play? No. Um, middle one does not. Middle one does not. He went See, into business. I was, I was paying attention. <laughs> Your oldest one plays. Yeah. That means if they know her. Yeah. I did I did math. I mathed. <laughs> you got math. I mathed. <laughs> well, that's cool though. I that kind of stuff has always fascinated me because I I, I come from um I, I hate throwing my family under the bus. They're they're cool people, they really are. My pop is amazing, my dad's awesome. Um, but they don't there's no artistic talent fuck anywhere hmm. in my immediate family now in branches of my family there's some uh, people i mean i've got family members i've never met i'm not a super family oriented person i never have been uh, i i literally you know, i'm not going to give you two that early i literally had to teach my mother how to draw a straight line with a ruler uh-huh. and she failed <laughs> so how the fuck i got to where i am and you worked on toast after that huh yeah exactly <laughs> How the fuck I got to where I am is kind of a mystery. That's um, but I also cool. think that's one of the reasons why I started playing so late. Hmm. When did you start? I started wanting to probably around 10 or 11. I didn't actually hit anything until I was probably 13 or 14. Uh, and I didn't get my first drum kit until I was probably 15 or 16. All of which I bought myself. Uh, I left home. At, I was 13 when I left home. Uh the shitty childhood. Not blaming anything. It's just my fucking past. So what yeah. happened? So a lot of things that were easier for most kids were fucking brutal for me. I had to do everything myself. But I, all of that stuff combined is why I started so late. But it's what I'm getting at is it's cool that you had that connection within your family, the musical connection. A couple of you played. Your dad played especially. And then you've got somebody like me. I'm pretty good at what I do, but I come from a line of nothing artistic, creative, musical at all. But the one thing that I always accredit it to is my parents, especially my mom, um, they always listen to a lot of Neil Diamond. Oh, really? Tons. I'm a huge Neil Diamond fan to this day. I don't know if you... No, you can't because my thing covered it up. And I don't know if you've heard the episodes where I talk about it. I have two 
Neil Diamond box sets. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite records, it's sitting over there, but you can't see it because I put the mat over there. One of my favorite records to this day is still Hot Dogs Night. I think it's the greatest live record ever recorded. That fucker can sing. Oh, my God, <laughs> dude. And I don't give a shit. Yes, wear your rhinestones with your hairy chest. That dude's written Whatever, over, man. what, 5,000 songs? He, he can do what he wins. wants. <laughs> he fucking wins. But I think that's where a lot of it came from with me. Besides the, the, the troubled stuff I went through, it was that pure songwriting ability of someone like Neil Diamond seeping into my fucking pores. That's my little two-bit psychology, yeah, which yeah. is wrong as hell, but it makes me feel good. <laughs> you can analyze it any way you want, man. Right, but I think it's cool, though. Yeah. yeah, but I think it's cool, though, that you came from a musical family. That stuff has always kind of fascinated me because I didn't grow up that way. What was that like? In other words, did you ever look at your brother and go, I want to play that? Or how do you play that? Or was it competitive between the two of you? No, not at all. He was 10 years older than me. So... When gotcha. I was seven years old, he, and I think it was seven, he left. It was maybe, yeah, because I was seven and he uh, had just turned 18. Um, he's, you know, and he got signed to Atlantic Records and he was living in New York City. No shit. Yeah, right. And so I had that, you know, eight years where we were best friends and he was my idol and stuff. Well, growing up, you're just a little kid. You don't know. And right. he's got all the cool gear and that guitar. And he had this killer flying V Ibanez. And nice. Then, yeah. I, and then uh, all these really great amps, a big, huge Fender and Bandmaster. And they took up the whole room. <laughs> <laughs> really cool. So, yeah. He's got a lot of shit. Yeah. I looked at that and I was... I looked at that. I was like, "Damn, that's cool!" You know, <laughs> I really dig that. But it was when I picked up the guitar itself. I thought, "That's that's cool. I like the sound of that." And my dad actually didn't want me to play. He he. I was playing violin, and I was involved in a lot of the um, youth orchestras and and you know the kid orchestras. And right. as you go through, you know, junior high and then high school, they you start to go up the level, and then right. they try and work you into the symphony one way or another. Um, we'll get them. We'll get them in there. <laughs> exactly. So um, I had found um, the guitar in the closet, and I started tinkering around on it, and and I just learned. I taught myself how to play because my dad didn't actually want me to play guitar because he saw my brother, you know, having right. his life at that time. There was a lot of things going on in New York City and the. Uh, All right, that's the third reference to New York City. By the time this post, I'll have been there and back, and I'm so fucking excited. Yeah, I know, man. I knew you are excited about going. <laughs> My favorite place I've ever been. Yeah. Um, anyway, sorry. Sorry, sorry. Just All good. Carry. Yeah. Um, we can go off on that tangent if you want. Because I, I, the first time I was in New York City, I was a kid, and I looked around, and it was just like so much going on. Yeah. It was like It was this cacophony of sound, and it was like a <laughs> jackhammer and a bus and a, and a guy yelling, hey, fucking move, beep, 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 you know, the stuff going on. So your ears are going, what the fuck is going on around here? And I'm a little right. kid, and I'm looking around like, oh, what the mom, yep. dad, you know, but yep. my eyes are wide open, and I'm just exploring the city. And I was a little bit nervous because I was so young but then I was older when I went back and after college and uh, I thought oh my god this is the coolest fucking city in the world and then later in a later chapter of my life I used to go there two or three times a year for conventions and and trade shows right and we would stay in the city and I just I fell in love with it man it's like one of the greatest places in the world well I've never told this story on the show and and it's not really that that big of a deal Um, but I had always I was born in Syracuse New York so I'm from New York by birth, but right. upstate doesn't yeah. count. And apparently, sure it does. 
fucking New York, right? <laughs> there you um, go. <laughs> oh, it comes out when I get drunk, which I don't do very often. Yeah. It comes out. It, two things come out. More truth, because I'm already truthful when I'm sober. Right. Fuck, I'm fucking brutal when I'm drunk. And my accent, which is, Stacy can't stand it. It drives me nuts. I'm glad you don't get drunk all the time. I don't think I could deal with you talking that way. Yeah. Um, but apparently I was, my dad took me to New York City when I was a kid. I don't remember it. But in 2007, I did a mini tour with Peter Searcy. I was playing drums with him. And we had a show in Albany, New York on a Thursday. And then Saturday, we had a show at, in Jersey Shore, somewhere, Jersey Beach, some kind, I don't remember where it is, mm-hmm. uh, but it was right on the water. But so we were off Friday and he had a friend that lived in New York City and he said, hey, are you cool with spending the day in New York City Friday? I went, after I wiped the drool off my face, I <laughs> muttered the word yes. Yeah. So when we got there, I made sure my phone worked. They were going to go to Noel's apartment and chill and I went, <laughs> bye, see ya. I walked the city for like nine hours by myself. Yeah. It was fucking amazing. And it was in September, so the weather, it was just turning crisp. Um, in the, uh, what's it, uh, I th- it doesn't matter what Peter's friend's name was, but he had a high rise, or he was on the top of a high rise. His flat was at the very top. And he had rooftop access. We call those penthouses. No, I call that fucking rich. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> I'm tattooed white trash. That shit was fucking rich. Right. Because the stairway to the rooftop, the door was in his apartment. Yeah. That's I'm cool, looking man. around going, There's this, this motherfucker's got to pay a million dollars a month for this place. Yeah. Anyway. And not even blink an eye. Yeah, not even blink an eye. But so I fell asleep to, the windows were open, so I fell asleep to, quote, the sounds of the city, exactly what you were talking about. The horns, the jackhammer, every now and then Talk you hear a bird. Fucking and people. It was, it has, to this day, still just not, no music related. It's been one of my favorite days on this planet. Cool. So. What a th- what a great thing, though. I mean, for any musician to hear the cacophony and like the poly- oh, yeah. polyrhythm of the city. Oh, my God. It's you amazing. Can, you can hear this going over here. One, two, three, four, five, yep. two, and the other thing going ding, 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 Yeah. I love that. So, anyway, go ahead. Fast forward. Stacy is a beach girl and a country girl. All right. Country girl because that's where she comes from. Beach girl because that's her favorite place. She's a water baby. That's what I call her all the time. And we've been, you know, we've been together for a, a decade, and we've probably taken 15, maybe 20 trips to the beach. Beginning of this year, I looked at her and I said, I'm not going to the beach any fucking more until you, until you go to New York City. Yeah. You have to see it. And this is going to be her first time there? This will be her first time oh, there. Man. And I'm so excited sure. for her. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. And I will, I'm pretty positive that the show after this one, will be her and I talking about her time in New York City. Oh, sweet. Because I want her to do that. Yeah. I think it'll be cool for her because she's never seen it. And she's not a big city girl. Yeah. She's really not. Um, so anyway, that's a New York City tangent. But before we go anywhere else, what band was your brother signed to on Atlantic? Or was he a solo artist? No. Um, it started off as Mark... See how I turned that around? Yeah, right back that's into music. Good. That's good. Yeah. Was, uh, it was a band called Mark and Clark's Double Take. And then they changed the name to Carnegie. Gotcha. And it was uh, twin uh, guys, Mark and Clark, and they played dual grand pianos back to back. 
No shit. And like, I remember seeing, like, they did uh, some shows, you know, you should have him on here. <laughs> they did American Bandstand and some other shows. And there was uh, Jack Storch, the bass player, was over on one piano. And my brother Craig was on top of the other piano. And then they ran across and jumped over uh, Mark and Clark's head and land on the other, uh, each other's pianos. And oh, they're just rocking nice. up. So it was like uh, classical rock. It was super trampy kind what, of. What time period was that event? Uh, late 70s, early, let's see, uh 70, yes, mid-70s, late 70s. That's fucking cool. Yeah, it was... Uh, See, I didn't know that. It was a great band, uh, too. I mean, great songs and stuff. And then I remember as a kid, they would come through town on tours and they would play the Agora uh, there in Columbus. And they used right. to have them all over the country. But it's, you know, the size of, I don't know, headliners in... in uh, it's the Newport now in, in Columbus. So eight, a, 900 people, maybe a yeah, thousand, something yeah, like that. Exactly. Gotcha. Yeah, a mid-sized club. And... Um, I was just a kid, and we would go. Uh, we would go see my uh, my brother play, and it was this huge rock show. And, nice. and then we'd go upstairs, and I remember it was a great moment for me to see like a rock and roll lifestyle. I was a little kid, and I couldn't wait. And I run up the stairs uh, to go see my brother after the show, and everybody's partying and just having a good time. <laughs> and I could see my brother in this room, and he had a girl on his lap, and everybody's crowded in the room. And my brother stands up real quick, and the girl falls off his lap and he tur- turns off the lights and I'm like what what why <laughs> now that was really quick thinking on my brother's part because he didn't want me to see all the uh, let's say paraphernalia that could have been in the room at debauchery. the time yeah. debauchery <laughs> Then he closed the door and he came out and he gave us the tour backstage. Very and smart. So, yeah, Look but I was that. like seven or eight when that happened. No, but that's awesome that he was that smart. Yeah, he's he's very very smart. Very cool. Great rocker. Very, very cool. Yeah. So when was your? It's going to be an interview type question because I can't think of another way to word it. Because I kind of gave you. I was in my mid twenties when I. I mean, I had been playing and playing out before that, but that's when I figured out that I was good. Yeah. When did you kind of figure out you were good and started playing shows and you went, all right, this is what the fuck I'm going to do? Um, this is going to sound strange to some people, but and I don't want to go off on any kind of weird tangent. But People it, that listen to the, my show, <laughs> they're fucking used to strange. <laughs> It was the the moment I picked up. Let's uh, the moment I picked up the guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, I put my fingers on. It, it was my brother's guitar. I right. found it uh, in the closet and I picked it up and I started playing it. And what came out of my fingers, without a single lesson, without knowing anything about the instrument, right. was I picked out these notes in order, without a mistake, and it went and. Like it, I'm not gonna go down this road, but it went, it went bum bum and I was a little kid and you know going to church all the time, and that came out of my fingers. So that was a sign to me. I was like, something's about you know this is this is telling me something that I could play that without doing anything. You know, now you had already been playing violin at that point. I've been playing violin, so I could hear notes. Sure, you could hear notes, and you at least knew how to move your left fingers. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I, I that was the moment that I knew that that was my instrument. Gotcha. And so that's when I made a decision to pursue playing guitar gotcha. and make that my instrument. And so that's where my voice is now. You know, my voice is not on the violin. I can play the violin. I can read, you know, the stuff off the music. It right. can show people how to play it and stuff, but it's not where my voice is. And I like, you know, to say my voice is in the guitar. So gotcha. Yeah. I, I uh guitar was my first instrument. Yeah, I've uh, heard you say that before. Yeah, it lasted about 
a week. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking hate well, it. Coinc- <laughs> coincidentally, drums were my first instrument. My parents got me a drum set when I was a kid. And I would play the shit out of those fucking drums. And I went off to, and it was like in second grade, third grade or something like that. And I went to school one day and I came back and my drum set was gone. I still to this day, Stephen, I don't know what happened to that drum set. And nobody in your house is talking. Either. No one. <laughs> no one said anything about it. I, mean, yeah, I just never will. I don't know what happened to it. They do. What's your dad's number? I'll find out. Yeah. I'll let you know. I think in hindsight, I know what happened to it. But, <laughs> but I had a thousand things spinning through my head, so I just moved on to something else. That's all right. Um, I think it worked out for you. Yeah, it worked out pretty good. <laughs> now, I'm the world's worst drummer. I was playing in a cover band here in town, and uh, I was playing behind a singer-songwriter, and I sat down, and I was playing drums and behind the singer-songwriter. I was like, boom, boom, tap, boom, boom. And my friend, the bass player, he looked at me and was like, Play the fucking drums. <laughs> I, was, I, I didn't want to override the singer songwriter. You know, I don't want to be too loud. You know, and he was like, "You've got to play the drums." So, That's pretty funny. Yeah, I'm the worst drummer. So let's fast forward to two weeks ago. Yeah, which sounds really bizarre. We finally, after played a uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know where I'm going with yeah. this. We finally, after playing together off and on for about a year, yeah, almost a year. a year, we finally played full on you got to play electric and i was playing one of my bigger rigs and what i mean by that most people that know me know i have several rigs uh the rig i was using at gives creek was my quiet rig it's Mm -hmm. not doesn't get no matter how hard i hate it it won't get that loud but i use my white rig which is not my gretch rig you haven't played with those yet those are amazing i use my white rig and you used a guitar and an amp yeah And we you were made like, that sound so foreign. And we were yeah, like, I have several. <laughs> for me, playing with you, it's I know. ridiculously foreign. Yeah. So I remember there was probably the second song we were doing, FCK at Wix. Well, and that was, a, they were asking me to play acoustic for that mm, stuff. And I'm I glad just, that you didn't, or that it yeah. didn't work out, or what the hell ever. Yeah, yeah whatever. So anyway, <laughs> I remember the second song, because I have moments on stage, most of my moments on stage, I don't remember. I'm sure you're the same way. You don't remember the... If you're on stage for two hours, you probably remember 10 minutes of it. Yeah. I'm the same way. I, I'm lucky if I remember 10 minutes of it. But I remember the second song. I looked over and I went, oh, <laughs> fuck that duo. I don't even want to do it anymore. Let's start a band. <laughs> and we kept having these moments all night. You'd look back at me and I'm yeah. looking over at you. And it was cool to play full... I guess full bore, full volume. Whatever yeah, man. Just to, well, it, Plugged it's, in. Whatever you want to call it's it. It's a lot more freeing when I can play electric with a band instead of trying to hold down the fort with rhythm and mm-hmm. drive the bus you know melodically and rhythmically yep. with an acoustic guitar and then sing as well so there's it's like a different set of tools oh absolutely so. which is no disrespect to tony clark or joe stevens because both of them are phenomenal and i've played with them a bunch and i've been honored to play with them but it was the first time you and i got to plug in yeah and it was awesome because what a lot fun. of people don't know about cliff notes is i use my Yamaha DTX-12 that I run samples off of, I actually use that with Cliff Notes, and I'm playing drums on that. Now, you started off with Jimbe. That's that a was bad like, idea. Yeah, it was a bad idea. <laughs> it sounded good, but no, you, can get, don't you, bullshit you, me. you can get so much more out of that don't, little don't electronic kit. And now that we know that, don't we're, bullshit me. Now that, we know that we, we, we're, we're good with the electric big kit thing, we've got some more stuff planned. <clears throat> let's just leave yeah, it Yeah, we're going to leave it there. We... we <laughs> Barstar exclusive. We do got some shit cooking. <laughs> um, so that's cool. So when did you, going back to my original question, because you never actually answered it, when did you move to Louisville? And 
had you been here before you moved here? Yeah, I'll give you the um, I'll give you the abridged uh, version. You don't have to look at that. You can go as long as you want, brother. No. Um, I mean, unless you got somewhere to be. I um, <laughs> no, 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 we're good. I'll tell you the story. Uh, and um, so, Wait, I, are we going to need to pause and get coffee first? No, I mean you, you can if you want. Uh, I know no, you're I'm empty and you, you you live on that, so it's like your go go. Oh, show. you called me out of my own fucking show. Yeah, that's all good. That's it. Pause. All right, so I really did fill up my coffee, and uh, I think you're fucking amazing for saying that, because that was awesome. Here it is. All right, so here's the story. Um, I know you live off that stuff. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's like your gasoline, man. Dude, well, got to get pull off at the next station, fill up on some coffee. Yes, Got sir. the go juice. Anyway, anyway, uh, anyway. first day, first right, day of college. Back to serious. Back to serious. It's not even serious. It's just like stories. I need you to be serial. <laughs> I will be very Cereal. Cereal now. Cereal. Cereal. Yeah. Be cereal. I need you to be cereal. Oh my God, you're so cute. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Go ahead. All right, man. <laughs> so I go to first day of uh, classes at mm-hmm. art school, and mm-hmm. per normal, I had just come in from the outside because uh, my friend and I had, um, well, sat and smoked. <laughs> and so we came inside, and I'm sitting. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting in the back of the classroom, and I looked up to the front of the classroom. There is the single most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. Side of her face is like fucking gorgeous. And then she's got this killer mohawk that goes straight up, man. It was just like shaved sides of her head. But I was looking at her face going, wow, she's fucking gorgeous. So I leaned over to my buddy, Eric, and I said, you see that chick up there? And he goes, yeah. Just knock out. I go, she's going to fall in love with me. And he goes... Yeah, right. <laughs> so I was like, I'm determined, man. So fast forward, uh, we were we, like, I introduced myself. Uh, it took me a long time to introduce myself. We you became, had to get up the gumption. I did. I you needed mean, coffee. I, yeah, I needed a coffee or something, man. So I finally Have talked with her. And we started hanging out and through all through college, she was dating somebody. I was dating somebody's. Uh, you know, it just was a... a Notice the S, kids. <laughs> so somebody's. It was, it was a, a good time of life, you know. Right, so I absolutely. just didn't want to be tied down. So um, we just became drinking buddies. And after we graduated, I moved to L.A., and uh, she went off to grad school and she would write me, I swear, every month letters. And I would get these letters in the mail and I'd, you know, she would write one every month and maybe every two months or something like that. And I would read them and I'd send her one back, you know. And so this went on, you know, relationship relation after relationship, move after move, you know, wherever I was at, she would just find me and, and we'd stayed in touch. And nice. um, yeah, so she was, you know, we developed this amazing bond or friendship in college and became really you know best friends in college but right. she was always with some other dude and i really wanted to get with her but so she wait, was always, what you're telling me is you were the hot chick's gay friend but you weren't gay yes <laughs> see how i did that you like that don't you i prefer you, the term drinking buddy because i didn't give her any fashion uh advice at all but <laughs> well there's something to be said for that yeah <laughs> i am your friend i have seen what you went no, i'm just kidding yeah. <laughs> you know why i said that though no i've been that guy oh yes yeah, so without the, hang- without the, the gay part of course, you're hanging but, out on the in the sidelines waiting 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 yeah, yeah i'm yeah, like yeah. no honey that does not look good oh my god i am the gay guy yeah <laughs> but i have a very good friend of mine who's who's gay we've yeah. been friends for probably 20 years he's an amazing human being not because he's gay he's just an amazing human being yeah. and he told me that one day he goes he said you're the best friend gay guy, yeah. but you're not gay. <laughs> <laughs> well, shit. 
Makes so I've, sense. I've classified it that way ever that since. Makes a anyway, sense. carry on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we stayed in touch and uh, just kept getting closer and closer. Even you know, relationship after relationship, she would call me and complain about her boyfriend. And <laughs> I would call her and tell her about my sexual escapades. Man, it was terrible. <laughs> it was like this weird thing that we had. You know, it was. Right. It, but I we was had a being, connection. Yeah, we had a connection, and I was being truthful, and she was being truthful, and we just we met in the middle, and so. Fast forward, um, I had been out in L.A. for years and years and years, and I uh, came back to Columbus to visit my folks, and she said, well, why don't you come see me in Louisville? And I did, and then I flew back, and then she was like, why don't you come back? So I did, and I flew back, and so we made this, you know, d- decision to make another, you know, make a step towards something more than the, that long-term, you know, friendship that we had for years. So uh, I was working as a designer and I was working from home. I started my own business in 2001. So I got a lot of my uh, work from um, American Honda and gotcha. I did a lot of illustrations for them right. and um, a lot of artwork. And so um, I called them up and I said, um, look, I'm working from home and I'm sending you stuff online. Is there any reason why I couldn't do this in Louisville? And they said, absolutely not. So I moved to Louisville and I still had an income doing graphic design and, and illustration. And I was started, cool. started gigging right away and started, uh, I wasn't in town Louisville for more than two months before we started a TV show. And, uh, wait, hold up. Pause. Yeah. 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 Pause. Where's Mohawk girl. That's why I moved to Louisville. No, I know. But did you move in with her, or did you, did you move to be closer to her? No, I moved in with her. Ah, and then what happened? Uh, then we got married ten years later. Thank you. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That was brutal, Brian. <laughs> yeah, sorry, you got to pull it all out of me. <laughs> Work with me, brother. Fuck. I get sidetracked. It's a shiny object. Sorry, got to go. <laughs> hey, the ooh, shiny. <laughs> yep, so she is my wife. So, yeah. And what is your wife's name who I've never met? Mary Beth. Mary Beth, you're welcome that I did not forget about you. She is the most exceptional human being in the world. She's brilliant to and me, gorgeous. To me, she's second because I have a Stacey. Nah. I'm just kidding. I do want to meet her. I do want to hang out. It is, that is weird. We've never hung out. Yep. Well, she's, she's really busy. And I'm not saying that as an excuse, but she's like a she's type A. She's super smart. Yeah, she's super smart, and she's like she teaches at U of L, and she is in private practice. And she, when she gets home, she reads uh, a ton of books this high, and and yeah. or papers. Um, so you know, she, and she does what now? I know, but I want you to tell them. Oh, uh, she's a therapist. She is an art therapist, and she is actually instrumental in introducing pet therapy into the mental health facility here, Our Lady of Peace, which used to be a different. Uh, uh, hospital mm-hmm. um so she introduced pet therapy into our lady of peace she's instrumental in getting licensure for art therapists in the state of kentucky very cool she's on the board uh that licenses uh art therapists she teaches uh, art therapy she's the clinical coordinator of the art therapy department at L, and she is in private practice and she deals with my ass every day which <laughs> means you pay her a lot of money <laughs> And you clean the fucking house. Well, we she we both clean the house, but I put my fucking time in. Let's put it that way. If I don't, you know, things won't get done. That's all there is to it. So. No, that's awesome. That's that's really really cool. I I had to derail you because you were just start. I knew I know you well enough. You were gonna go down this rabbit hole of graphic design. I'm like, where'd Mohawk girl Where'd go? Where'd she go? Where'd, Where'd she, she go? go? Where'd she go? <laughs> 
So I came to she's local in, and I had a job. And, and then, I, yeah, yeah. No, she's <laughs> in my life every day. That is a very, very cool story. Yeah. So you've known each other for... Since I was 17 years old. And I know you're not going to say how old you nope, are now. So not, that's, that's a lot of years. I am. I always tell the like, kids that I teach, I'm 94, but I look damn good for my age. So... <laughs> For the people that do follow my show every week, he's older than me. <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say. It's true. No, that's that's very cool. That yep. that's awesome. I uh, I knew part of that story, but I didn't know the whole story. Now that's why I was trying to get it out of you. No, I got you. Yeah. So when when did you stop doing the graphic design? Ooh, let me rephrase. Maybe that. about yeah. When did you stop doing it for a job? Yeah, for uh, a main main source of income. I want to say about five years ago, 2012, 2013, something nice. like that. So you said when you first got here, you started a TV show. Yeah. What do you? What was that about? Okay. I uh, was bumping around the house and my uh, then girlfriend was saying, go get the fuck out of the house. You're driving me crazy. All you do is play guitar and look at your boxes. And so- <laughs> So I went down the street and there was like a, a guy who invited me da- uh, to play music with him and he had a banjo and I was scared to death. I was like, oh, fuck, banjo music. Mary Beth, I love you. <laughs> so she goes, go be I with- love you a lot. She literally said, go be with your people. And <laughs> so I, I, I met my friend. <laughs> my, my friend Kyle had invited me go to this jam. Yeah, he invited me to this jam, and oh, Kyle took me over to uh, another fellow's house, Michael. And there I met uh, Paul Moffat and Michael Price, Kyle Ellison, and, we, and Glenn Metzger. And we're still friends to this day. And they all play acoustic music, and they were doing singer songwriter stuff, bluegrassy type things. And I immediately hit it off with all these guys who just incredible human beings they're brilliant men and i love talking with them i love just you know being around them and playing music with them paul is the guy who uh had louisville music news and he published louisville music i knew that name sounded familiar i was trying to go through my head because i'm not from here you know that i'm not from here either. well i wasn't from here and i meet the guy who publishes a local newspaper about local music and i was like well nice to meet you and so we hit it off we started talking and then um he uh said that he had a friend who was interested in doing a tv show uh, about Louisville music and particularly Louisville musicians and wanted to know if I would be involved in doing the talent portion and doing some graphics for it and helping produce it. And I said, I'd be honored, man. That sounds great. So nice. here's this guy with 35, 40 years of connections to Louisville musicians. Another uh, fellow, Paul Carney, who is really well-versed in television and video editing. And he's really uh a fabulous uh, renaissance man of, of all kinds. Uh, he, he's just, Check of all trades. Yeah, he's just amazing. Yeah, he's got a brilliant mind as well, and he's just great at video, video editing. Um, now, and I know, now I know why when I hang out with you, I feel dumb. Why? Because you're smart, your wife's smart, you hang out with smart people, and then you, what the fuck are you doing hanging out with me? Show's over, I'm done, I'm out. I love you, and I don't... <laughs> think that way at all man i think you're brilliant i love what you do and this is look look what you're doing you're doing your own show why is that any different from what i did see what i did there i totally tricked you and you got me sympathy. <laughs> <laughs> hook line and sinker got one in the boat douchebag <laughs> double fingers at myself douchebag high five into my yeah, yeah, there you go <laughs> <laughs> so what was the show called the player's spot and cool. yep, so two months here in Louisville, and I Wait, was starting. Sorry, sorry, sorry. What year was this? Eighty-eight. 
No, not in 88. I moved to LA in 88. Yeah, you this were was in LA 2005. In to, it was in 2006. So you moved here in 2006. I moved here at the end of 2005. So December of 2006. So you've only been here a couple of years longer than me. Yep. Oh, okay. Very cool. Yeah. Because I moved here at the beginning of 2007. Yeah. So, yeah. Nice. A year. Exactly. Actually, if you moved at the end of 2005, yep. yeah, a year and a month or something. Yeah. Wow. So we've been here the same amount of time. Wow. Look at that shit. Yeah, look at that. Who knew? Fancy that. See? Fancy that. You learn something every day on the Bar Star Podcast. <laughs> Don't you know? Don't you know? <laughs> no, you got to get used to your New York, man. You're going up there. You got to get used to that one. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I mean, I wore my fucking Brooklyn shirt so I could be prepared for Yeah, you for got it. your Brooklyn shirt I do. on. Man. I got my Brooklyn shirt. I got my fucking faded jeans. Yeah. And I don't have my chucks on, but, you know, I'm yeah. in the house. You'll so. get those when you get up there. I, oh, I'm so excited. We can't talk about that. Carry All on. right. Uh, the player spot. And it ran on the CW. Uh, we did, I want to say, 100 episodes. Very cool. And we had usually two acts on every show. Uh, my count might be off. I'd have to go back and check. Um, but we had uh, a ton of folks and a lot of people in their early stages of their careers mm-hmm. uh local musicians which was really cool to kind of go back and look at some of those performances and some like veterans who have been around forever right uh and at the end of that show we would record two or three songs from them i would do an intro a musical intro usually make it up on the spot it was just like this on the fly makeup songs as i went along and gotcha. um another friend of ours uh daniel uh, reidner and steve reidner helped out with that and uh, it was just fun and we had a formed a little acoustic band called tango and um it was nice yeah so then we interviewed people after the show and then paul would edit all that stuff and i'd do all the graphics and um host the thing paul would host it and where i would host it and i would do the musical segment of it and then uh we'd cut it up and put it on the air very cool yeah i so, had no idea about that yeah I, I, let me rephrase that i had no idea it was that involved i know you had mentioned in passing to me one night we were hanging and you had said something about a a television show you used to be on or something or i probably misheard you because god knows i have squirrels in my fucking head um but that's really really cool that you did all that stuff that's awesome i felt really honored to be a part of it one it was focusing on local and original Mm -hmm. music Mm -hmm. and to me it doesn't get better than that i mean i work in cover bands and i play in cover bands and i'm grateful to have you know work doing that stuff um but where i find the most interest is in original music anybody who's writing right uh, and doing something that's either eclectic different or cool i'm i'm just right on board well i'm the same way i mean i've been playing drums probably 30 years and for 20 of those years i've been playing quote out or whatever but counting the time i started playing till I started playing covers was probably almost 15 years. I didn't even touch a cover hmm. unless we rewrote it or whatever. I was always in original bands. I got into the cover thing because the band that brought me up here, Heaven Hill, I got in the cover scene here, that is. When I got that band, when I came up here for that band, they were one of the biggest original bands at the time, mm-hmm. 2007, 2006, whatever. So immediately there was a shit ton of eyeballs on me, so I could kind of pick and choose what I wanted to do. But I had only been into cover, just gotten into covers about a year before that. Hmm. I'd never done it. It was just one of those things. I just I didn't have an opinion either way. Yeah, I'm like you. I was just I love the writing process. I don't write like you do melodically and all that stuff, but I'm really good at arranging and all that shit. And I've got tons of ideas, and half of them suck and half of them are good, but whatever. But I'm into that as well. Mm-hmm. But when I fell into the cover thing, it was 
they're cliches for a reason. They work. The yeah. light bulb went off when the guy, the first gig I did, one of my drummer buddies called me and he said, hey, can you fill in for me? It was like, he called me on a Monday or a Sunday and he said, can you fill in for me this Friday? I broke my hand. I said, oh, I hate that you broke your hand, but I, I can't, I don't know anything about what you do. And he said, dude, they're fucking songs. They're covers. I'll send you the list. So he sends me 60 tunes and I got five days to learn them. Yeah, I've been there. <laughs> You know, going oh shit, this is gonna suck. Okay, I'll do the best. And I, at the time, I was going, I was going to aim, oh. so I at least knew how to chart by then. So yeah. I just charted out all these tunes. Never touched them on my on my rig. I just spent four day, four or five days just charting them. So I go do the gig. Never met these people before. They were super cool. Don't couldn't even tell you the name of the, the bar we played. Played for three hours. Had a few train wrecks, but nothing I couldn't recover from. Got done, and the dude walked up to me, and he handed me two $100 bills. And I went, what's that? He said, that's your cut. I said, excuse me? Right. <laughs> he said, that's your cut for the night. I said, yeah. are you fucking serious? Let's see if I do three of these a month, I can pay rent. <laughs> and let's see if I do three more a month, I can pay my car payment. And let's see if I do three more a month, then I can get some groceries. And hmm, three more after that, I could actually put some new uh, guitar strings on. <laughs> Or in my case, drum heads. Yeah. But yes, that was the light bulb moment. I went, motherfucker. Right. And I've been doing covers ever since. Now, I've always had my foot in some sort of original project. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, I tried to start one last year. It just didn't get off the ground. And it's no bad blood or anything. It just didn't work. Yeah. The chemistry wasn't there. But I did, uh, after Heaven Hill, after I was out of that band, I did a band called the Zoo Kings. It was a trio. It was me, Dave Moody, and Bobby O. And we did, it was just straight up gritty rock. Nice. I had a kick, snare, and a floor tom. That was it. A couple cymbals. Nice. It was great. Yeah. And they stuck me in the front of the stage, and they were on the riser with two mics, singing their asses off. It was awesome. Yeah. Uh, but I've always done, I've always had one, at least one foot in the original thing. Yeah. But that's how I got into covers. Yeah. It was I a fill-in gig, and I had money coming at me, and I went, I could fucking do this. Yeah. I was doing a lot of showcases and stuff out in L.A., and anytime you do that, you're not getting paid anything. And I'm writing my ass off, and I'm trying to get noticed, and then a friend of mine said, well, there's... um, a friend of mine is looking for a guitar player in his restaurant, and would you be interested? So I called him up, and I said, well, how much And, and does, do you pay? And he said, well, I'll give you 150 if you play uh, for the night, and then I'll feed you, and then you can have you know whatever wine you want to drink. So every Thursday night, I went over there, and I got, <laughs> I got free food. I got paid 150 bucks. And my girlfriend at the time, and I was thinking, well, I don't have that many cover songs that I know. So my girlfriend said, just write all the cover songs that you, all the songs that you like down on a list and all the songs that you can play and just play those. So I think I wrote 20 or 30 songs and I started with those that night and played through what I was, you know, I had been doing ever since I was a kid, you know, and then that worked and he wasn't looking for anything, you know, balls out or anything. He was looking for background music. So that's... That started, you know, paying a couple of bills, and I was like, "Well, oh yeah, I can keep I can doing do my this. original, but I can show up every Thursday and get paid 150 bucks to help yeah. feed my original." I habit. can do this. So. No, I, yeah, it's it's cool, and, and I think I think that story is more common than people realize. Mm-hmm. And I'm not by any stretch of the imagination dogging on being in a cover band, but I don't think any musician grows up going, "I want to play covers." No, no, no. It's no. just something that happens. But there's it's also a great way to be able to play. And make money and feed something else, whether it's feed the bank account, feed your creative 
outlet, feed an original band, whatever. Stacy will tell you straight up, if I don't play, if I don't physically play, yeah. I'm a motherfucker to be around. Yeah. She can't stand it. Most of my friends can't stand me anyway, but they really <laughs> hate me when I can't, when I don't play. Oh God, it's brutal. Yeah. But I, 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 I physically and literally... Have I done one or two? Uh, technically two. And then but, I'm not going to do three. You, you did, well, you did three, but you didn't You didn't punch it. I didn't punch it. No. You just let so it. So this would be the second one, This would be, it? well, the third one, I think. I'm not giving them three. Fuck it. <laughs> but I, I literally have to physically play or I am an asshole. Yeah. I have to get that out. But because that's part of nothing, being... Being a drummer, that's, yes, you have to do it, and being Part a creative mind, too. being a it's, creative, it's, it's you have both. to do it. No. Because I have drummer friends that don't give a shit if they don't fucking play for months. Yeah, I, I, that I, I don't, I don't, I can't wrap my head around that. Yeah. And I'm not dogging them. Again, that's just a mental, yeah. not even a mental. It's just a mindset they have. I get it. Yeah, I have to play. I have to play. Yeah, it's you have to, which yeah. is ironically one of the reasons why the cliff notes thing is weird for us and then when we plugged in electric we're like oh Uh, that's that's where it is (laughs) okay i get it now that was a lot uh smoother fun rolling down the the surf we uh, already knew we were good but we didn't realize how good we the other it was was. fun it was so much fun it was awesome yeah it was great fun Yep. So uh, i've been doing that for a long time just balancing the two and i don't see i think it's all everything's relative because I hear people throwing cover bands under the bus and trashing them. And I just scratch my head and I'm like, okay, you know, you do your thing. I'll do mine. I don't have any problem because in, if you look through history, you know, West Montgomery was playing covers. Duke Ellington was playing covers. You know, (laughs) the Beatles were playing covers. All the Chuck Berry was playing covers. All the Zeppelin was playing covers. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Black Sabbath was playing covers. Judas Priest was playing covers. Yep. All those guys started out playing Hootie and the Blowfish. I heard you talking to your buddy about them. They were playing covers. Oh yeah. You you know, it's like all those guys are started off playing covers. So, and then the other part of the biggest fans in the world started doing that shit. Yeah. The other thing that I loved sharing with students is how much you can learn from learning that solo or learning that progression or yep. learning that chord change or learning that chord, even I, that. I tell my drum students the same thing. Figure out the song. I'll, I'll give you the tools. I don't spoon feed my kids anything. Yeah. But f- once you figure out the song using the tools I've given you, then you figure out why it works. Drum wise. Yeah. I'm not, and on a whole, but I don't expect them to pick up chord progressions and all that stuff because I know music very, very well, but chord progressions still baffle me sometimes i just don't get it kind of like if i start getting really technical on drums you're gonna be like dude shut the fuck up yeah i, I don't know. get it i know my periodiddle and my flamadiddle that's about it uh, i'm you're so i can't believe you know a flamadiddle you're so <laughs> lame nobody even does those no, i'm just kidding um good job on knowing those two yeah. but you know what i'm saying it there's yeah. certain at a, at a certain point it's just you shut it off yeah but what i'm getting at is i tell them the same thing figure out why it works and then once you figure out why it works and you figure out how it works then you learn how to use it for yourself and yeah. you build your arsenal. Yeah. I can sit down with almost anybody, never met them, don't know them from Adam, give me 50, 60 songs, and I can sit down and I can play the entire night and nobody in that room's going to have a clue that I've never played with these people. Yeah, exactly. Because you know your shit. And I know my shit. I know times. my intru- instrument. I know music. Yeah. I and know how music works. Yeah. That's that's what is always kind of I'm with you I'm I'm agreeing with you but that's what's always kind of baffled me a little bit made me scratch my head yeah well, why well, you're a sellout 
I'm gonna be honest with you, motherfucker. You enjoy that bologna sandwich? I'm going to get a steak, bitch. Yeah, call me whatever you want. Yeah, call me whatever you want. I don't Jason care. Jason Newstead was my favorite, though. He was my favorite. He was my favorite quote about a sellout ever. What did he say? I don't even remember what year it was. Probably late '90s. He was doing an interview, and they were talking about when. Metallica did the video for one and all that. Oh, Metallica sold out. Yeah. And he said, Yes, we did sell out. We sold out the arena we played at last <laughs> right? night. We sold out the arena we played the night before, and we're going to sell out every fucking arena that we book from here on out. Yeah, turn the page. I win. I was like, He wins. The guy wins. But I think, I think it gets. Well, I think it's. You even said it about a. Uh, Let's just—I'm not throwing anybody on the bus. We—we uh, we were talking about somebody we know, a mutual acquaintance, and you were just saying that you know it's all ego, and I think that's the same with not that we have to have an ego to get up. You and have do, to have an ego do to, what to do what we do. Absolutely, but you don't have to be so broken. You don't have to be a prick about it, and you don't have to be so broken that you have to bitch about everybody else and look at your life as miserable, and, yeah. and then take it out on everybody else. You know, Fuck shit. Up. Yeah, if you don't want to do covers, don't do fucking covers. Yeah, you know, go do something. Else. I still do originals. I still write, and mm-hmm. I still, you know, it's it feeds my soul. And, well, and I, and I think I love that you said it's all relative because. And I don't think this way. It is. I was going to share a story. Go ahead. I'm going to go ahead. You won't forget it, will you? No, I won't. Okay. I don't think this way, but I could totally think this way if I wanted to be a bitch. I do not have the same luxury that you have. You can get a speaker on a stick. You can get a small mixing board. You can grab your guitar and a mic and you can go make money. I cannot fucking do that as a drummer. Yeah. Well, you can beatbox all night, dude. People dig that shit. I fucking hate you. Just, just put, some, put some rhyme in between that. Hey, I'm Stephen here. That shit sells, man. You see that these shit chucks, sells. Those shits are brand new. Well played, sir. But you get my point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can't you. do that. Well, so it's, thus the phone call. Thus why we're friends. That's why we're hanging out. Right. But, I, what, yeah, I'm, but what I'm getting at is is people that complain about it. It's like, what are you complaining about? Yeah, yeah. You could work four or five nights a week. Yeah. I, as a drummer, can as a drummer that cannot play any other instrument, I cannot do that. I physically, literally cannot do that. Yeah. Because nobody gives a fuck. Nobody wants to hear drums. Nobody <laughs> wants to hear fucking... Uh, no, right. we're going somewhere else. <laughs> But if you can half-ass that sing joke, man. and half-ass play a guitar, yeah. you can go make money. Yeah. yeah, and I don't, I don't get why people complain about it. And I, again, I'm not saying that I think that way, but I could if I wanted to be a bitch. Yeah. Now, what joke were you talking about? What old joke? Oh, um, you know what you do when you hear a drum solo? It's you like, go piss. No, you can yeah, go get a beer. Yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah. That's this the old joke. So. Oh, you don't know this about me? What? Well, actually, you might. What? I don't know. I fucking hate drum solos. Really? Hate them. I love them. I hate them. I, I just don't like the I ones that go for fifteen minutes. To them. Really? I hate watching them. I love hearing. I hate playing them. Great players. I hate them. I love hearing great players break up time. I I just love it. Now, see, I don't consider that a drum solo. If you're going to be in the middle of a song and you're going to hook a ride off the interstate and grab a coffee and then come back and join the band, yeah, I'm in like a motherfucker. But if you're going to sit behind your drum set 
and wank off for <laughs> 10, 15 minutes, fuck you, I'm out. I yeah. don't care. I've never been into that. I went to go see Branford Marsalis at, um, oh. uh, it was down in Culver City, uh, it's a real famous little jazz club. He had Jeff Tain Watts on drums and he had like a snare, <laughs> a Y'all hi-hat. can't see because I don't have the camera, but I am cheesing because I know who Jeff Tain Watts is and he's a badass. Carry and, on. And Branford looked over at him, he took a solo and he just broke up the time in ways that I just mesmer I was mesmerized because I was like okay I can tell what his foot's doing mm-hmm. and I can tell what his snare is doing but I don't know what he's doing with those symbols <laughs> and it's like he was doing seven on four with a nine in there you know it just got crazy. and don't get me wrong a lot of that shit is super super impressive yeah it's not about envy or or oh I'll never be able to do. it's nothing about that you like what it's you just like man not I get musical it. to me yeah I know what you're saying if you and most of my friends give me shit because I'm a huge Dream Theater fan, but I am not a huge Rush fan. <laughs> Throw shit at me, I don't really care. But one of the things that those I did hear that in an earlier podcast, and I was like, huh, okay. <laughs> Scratching my head, but that's cool. I'll tell you, you why. You like what you like. I'll tell you why really fast. What? Pert is so good, he's almost a fucking machine. He is. Portnoy's really, really fucking good in one of my influences, but he's got... A little bit of an, more of an ebb and flow to him than Pert does because Pert is almost too perfect. Uh, That's why I don't like Rush. Hmm. That's the only reason. Fair enough. And I do think Alex Lifeson is one of the most underrated guitar players on the planet. When you consider what he did and how old he was when he did it, see, especially those now really you love me even more, don't you, motherfucker? Well, <laughs> I think so. Because you never thought that was going to fly into my mouth. Did no, you? especially when you say you don't right. dislike Rush. But just yeah. not a fan. Yeah, no, now, you cool. know me well enough to know I never say anything sucks. I just don't like it. Yeah, yeah. Just not a fan. But what I'm getting at is when, when they're doing, when, because I'm such a Dream Theater fan, when they're doing their... 10, 15 minute tunes and everybody's taking a solo within the context of a song mm-hmm. I'm in yeah. I love that shit yeah. I, I don't like it when a guitar player comes out for 10 minutes and wanks a bass player I don't like it when anybody does it yeah. because to me there's no music in that well wankery and musicality are two different things I can listen to Al Miola by himself playing an acoustic guitar all night long or you know listen to Jocko do a bass solo you know not anymore but I on a recording and right. to me it's just absolutely musical and fluid and delicious right. and brilliant you know uh, or a solo violinist or a cellist Yo-Yo Ma brings me to tears man just listening to him play. right but it's not Yngwie Malmsteen wankery you know no, granted he's great Dude, I can't touch <laughs> I mean, the guys. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> Sorry, I, that's that's what it ends up sounding it's like. Pretty good. Wasn't yeah, it? it was really good. Yeah. <laughs> I went to the last Ningve show in October. Did you? Did I tell you about this? No. It's phenomenal. I, I'm sure it was. No, 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 no. <laughs> it was phenomenally shitty. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. He's still wearing the same stuff. That's number his one. Shirt to yeah. his belly. Okay, listen. Okay, I, I'm I did about... throw Ingve under the bus. No, 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 no. He's laughing all the way to the bank. But go ahead. Absolutely, he is. <laughs> same thing I say for Nickelback, which yeah. I don't throw them under the bus. But yeah. hey, they've sold 80 million records. They win. There's a reason. Yeah. Here's my favorite line though. They sold 80 million records, but everybody hates them. Yeah. Who bought the fucking records? <laughs> right. Somebody better cop to it. Yeah. Um, no. Here's why it was phenomenally trashy. Because one, I, I get it. You have a look, you have a stick, that's great. It's okay to update your shit. You're fat, brother. <laughs> Too fat for leather pants he and an open see shirt. It. No, he doesn't. That's number one. Number two, he had the wall of the the fake 
marshals and or the gimmick marshals, mm-hmm. and that's great. It looks phenomenal, the stage lights and everything. Here's why it was phenomenally tragic. He had his band shoved over to stage left. The oh. entire I'm sorry, stage right, our left. Yeah. It was on stage right. I'm trying to remember. It's been yeah. a while since I saw the show. He had them all shoved over, and I'm not making that up. So he could run around. So he could run around. And his drummer was pretty good. One is wasn't one of his best choices. I mean, he's played with some phenomenal drummers. But he had two kicks, four racks, two floors, big cage. Keyboard player had three or four keyboard keyboards on the big giant stands, mm-hmm. and then the bass player was tucked over there too. And he shoved them all over on stage right, and they were all just huddled in this corner. And I'm going, "You motherfucker!" But that's him. I know, but it just it's his, his his ego is as big as his Marshall cabinets, is which is as big as his attitude and whatever. Just, that's why I don't buy tickets to his show, <laughs> or I, I don't buy his albums anymore. I, I bought Rising Force. I didn't one. pay for him. Oh, good for you. Good for you. <laughs> I now got, I, will I got tell Rising you Force this. when I was a kid, and I was like, man, this is amazing. How about it? And then I got the next album. I was like. It's the same thing. <laughs> right. Now, album. I will tell you this. I have seen him about nine or ten times in my life. Yeah. Because he always has badass drummers. Oh, sure. I saw him down in Jacksonville. He had Tommy Aldridge playing drums. Nice. So I walk in. It's a cool little derailment story. I walk in, whole thing of Marshalls, and there's a big white Yamaha rig, and the hoops were wood. Nobody else would catch that except a drummer. Yeah. And I went, that's Yamaha. They're white, and they have yeah, fucking Tommy Aldridge playing. To get the fuck out of here. Nice. So we sit down, and here comes little Tommy. His little jean shorts, his little fro, and no shirt. Weighs about 80 pounds. Yeah. Sits down behind his drums. <laughs> and kicking in the first song, and I went, oh, that's fucking Tommy Aldridge. Nice. Now, I'm going to be a hypocrite because I forgot. I did watch his drum solo. And the reason I watched it is because he did something I don't... He was the first one I ever saw do it. Ingve walked off and left a note hanging and he started to do a drum solo and he stopped. He did like this really long fill and he stopped and then he threw his sticks in a crowd and he finished it with his hands on his drums. Nice. I thought that was cool. Yeah, it is cool. Because it was completely different and it was only two minutes long. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't out there forever. Yeah. Okay, so I did like that one. I enjoyed yeah. that one. Anyway. <laughs> okay, so before we move on to social media issues, you were going to tell me a relative story. I cut you off because I'm a jackass. No, no, no. No, I just was thinking... Squirrels. ADDs. <laughs> Shinies. Flashy light. What? what is that? Ice cream? Gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Carry on. It's flipping through the channels, man. Can't just make a decision. Can't make a decision. Get... You're trying to watch porn through the fuzz, aren't that's, you? That's right. <laughs> was that a booby? I think I saw a booby. I'm just kidding. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. If you've never witnessed uh, sporadic mind-fucking thoughts there, that just went on. Just uh, Anyway, trip. Uh, relative story was, I was thinking about, um, like, Frampton. Huge success. Largest selling live album ever, you know. it's. I was thinking about fame and stardom and what people are always looking for. And I've heard it recently, you know, they're looking for that big thing. They're going to go for that, you right. know, that that unattainable carrot at the end of the rope, you know, the proverbial right. carrot um, at the end of the stick. And, and it's it's never that. It's mm-hmm. in, That's why I think that finding um, balance or finding what it is that you want to do with your music and doing that is more important than chasing something that perhaps may never happen or it could happen. But the Frampton story is like after all that, you know, success that he had, and then he lost all his songs and all his rights. I ended up seeing him at the house of blues. And I, I swear there must've been 30 or 40 people in the audience in the late, 
80s or something like that. It was not full. And he had just come back. Yeah, and it was just like, I was looking around going, holy shit. This guy was the biggest thing on the planet. And there he is playing clubs. And I can't blame him or fault him. I just look at him and go, damn, you still got it, dude. You still are a killer guitar player. You still have those songs. You still have the voice. And I think, you know, wow. You know, everybody goes through their trajectory or whatever it is in their lives. Success, failure, success, failure, whatever it is. And you... As long as you're, if you find that balance or peace within, and I'm talking musically, you know, you find that yeah, thing that you sure. really need to get out of your uh, your music, then follow that first. And then either, you know, you will become successful with something. Maybe you get a record contract. Maybe you get signed. Maybe you do a tour, you know, and there's the, the industry has changed so much in the last 30 years. <clears throat> Hold up, Doug. Or you don't, and you no, still no, no. do what you no, no. love. Wait. And Hold that's up, what Doug. I was really getting to. Hold up, Doug. Yeah. There's no industry. Yeah, 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 okay. Carry on. All right, yeah. <laughs> or you sell stuff on YouTube, and you sell stuff on Spotify, and you sell stuff on Instagram, and, you know, if, if you do that, and, and tour, yeah. <laughs> you actually yes. can find some no, following you're, you're, on, on some level. But I think the the bottom line, what I was trying to say is is that, to me, it's it's always been more important to be happy playing music and to right. find my peace doing what I love in whatever way I can, you know, whether it's with uh, original acts or my myself playing solo stuff, acoustic stuff, or uh, playing with a, a cover band or playing, you know, any kind of music that I style that I like. I right. Really, or exploring new styles, you know. No, I, I that makes complete sense because one of the um, when I was coming up and I was doing all the original stuff, I obviously I. I had the the delusions of grandeur and oh I'm gonna be the greatest rock drummer ever and I'll be a fucking star. I, the more I got into the grind, the less I cared about that, and the more I cared about just being able to play as much as I can and to eventually be able to make a living from it. Yeah, I've been fortunate enough to have a few years under my belt that I made one thousand percent of my income from behind my drums. That does not suck. Have I been able to do it completely all the time? No, but that's okay. Because what I was getting at is, because I started to interrupt you earlier because I'm an interrupting cow according to Angela. (laughs) Hucker. Is people look at success wrong. My opinion. I think people look at success wrong. They forget what the definition of the word is. And I talked about this in my very first episode. I based my book off of it, off of my belief in success. The definition of the word success is the accomplishment of an aim or a purpose. That's it. Define Success it for yourself, doesn't mean yeah. fucking rich and famous. Yeah. If you set a goal and you achieve it, you're fucking successful. Now, I'm not naive enough to believe that that's all success means. Yeah, yeah. I know what society and I know what people view it as. I'm not fucking dumb. I'm a little slow, but I'm not dumb. <laughs> I, I'm playing around. Mike, can I be? Um, but I, I get it that it's always equated with that. But I think at some point, especially Pete and I'm like you, I'm speaking strictly musically. Yeah. People need to take a look in the, at themselves and really go, okay, what do I want out of this, and what am I trying to do? And I could be wrong on the person that said this quote, but I think it was Michael Jordan. He said, "If you can find something you love to do, you'll never work a day in your life." Oh, it came along before him, probably, but he's yeah. credited for it. Okay. And I, 
I, that was just for my buddy Todd because I actually made a sports reference on my show. Yeah, my aunt Jenny used to say that when I was a that kid. That hurt me. Oh. I've got to go poop now. Ah. <laughs> no, but seriously, it, but it's true. Yeah. It's not about being a millionaire. It's not about, for me, yeah. it's not about being a millionaire. It's not about being famous. It's not about this, that, or the other. I've had fame like your dad, yeah. like you were talking about. I've been a a big-ish, big-er fish in a small pond. Yeah. It's fucking annoying. It, it truly is. It's fucking annoying, yet it's fucking awesome. Yeah. It's a give and take. But I think if people would just kind of look at themselves and go, you know what? If I'm playing covers, I'm making money and I'm playing. If I'm playing originals and I'm being artsy-fartsy for the sake of being artsy-fartsy, then I'm a fraud. Do what you want to do and don't give a fuck what other people do. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, you know, the old cliche is true. Music is its own reward. Absolutely. So, I mean, I don't wake up and practice in the morning and, and you know, get in my studio and, you know, do my exercise and stuff to to do anything other than to do music a little bit better every day. Right. <laughs> it's, it, it's, you know? it's a silly thing and some people will get it and think it's cool and some people aren't going to give a shit. But when I started doing the podcast, my first thought was, holy fuck. I have all this music I've recorded over the years. It's my music. I've played on it. A lot of it I helped write. Mm-hmm. I don't need to outsource music for my show. Right. I have to get a couple people's permission, which they freely and gladly, with no hesitation, gave me permission to use it because yeah. there was more than just me involved in it. But the show has my fucking music on it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a cool title track, too. Oh, Jinx. 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 I like that, man. Jinx. I, I do have to say, unfortunately, that I have to bring it down. The the bass player that played on that, uh, is he has passed away. Oh, it was a guy named Corey Jansen. And the reason I bring it up is because the first time I ever played with him live uh, was in Columbia, South Carolina, uh, early 2000s. You've played with me now full drum kit. Mm-hmm. I haven't really changed much as far as the way I hit. I mean, I've learned a, a lot of stuff, but as far as my physical way I hit, I haven't really changed a whole lot. So you know how hard I hit. I could feel his heel pounding the stage. That's how hard he would thump his heel when he played bass. Nice. I could feel it up on the drum riser. The first time I played, I was like, I kept looking around going, what is that fucking... That's Whoa! The, that's the groove, man. That's the bass player's heel! <laughs> coolest shit ever and we got done with that show and I I asked him I said do you always do that and he said yeah I said do you have problems with your left leg he says yeah my left heel got some heel spurs (laughs) (laughs) can't imagine why yeah monster that's a groove yeah monster bass player yeah and he 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 played that he was a great bass player great dude but Fortunately, he has passed on. But yeah, I uh, a lot of people like that opening track, and and I called my buddy Charles Funk, and who was in that band with me, or I was in his band, however you want to word it. And I said, "Hey, man, I really want to use that song." And he goes, "Oh, absolutely." Mm-hmm. So it was really, really cool. Nice. All right, so let's move on to social media issues. All right, so what do you got for me for social media issues? What do you like about it? What do you not like about it? Or what do you, you're looking at me? Oh, my God, you're so cute. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever done two on a show. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, I have, uh, I give myself now uh, very little time on social media uh, because I see it. I, I think it's an incredible way to, to promote 
your gigs, a new album, you know, whatever it is that you're doing. The Bar Star Podcast. The Bar Star Podcast. It's a <laughs> great way to get information. It's a great way to actually catch up vicariously with old friends right. and find out what their families and their new kids are doing. I love that, man. I just think it's great seeing, you know, posts of their photographs and, and but uh, I just I get, hear the big butt coming. Yeah, yeah. I just, I you can't. You slid it in there. You're like, but I, I hear a big butt. I can't uh, spend too much time on it because I realize that I'm spending time reading other people's views that I don't agree with. And it's a waste of my time because there's nothing that I'm going to say or do that's going to change their views. Nope. And so I find that I have a better use of my time by going into my studio and practicing, man. Uh, and that's just, I literally look at the, and I said it, I said, literally. You did. Uh, I, I look at the clock and I mark when I get on to check whatever it is in the media. And then I look at the clock and I make sure I don't take more than 10 minutes, maybe 15. And then I'm off. And then uh, I move on. Because to me, I'm... Uh, uh, did you lose something? <laughs> no. ADD, and I'm not going to edit this out. I looked down and there was blood on my hand and I went, where the fuck did I'm bleeding? You stabbed me on my own show. <laughs> well, no. You stabbed me with your good looks. Um, so that's it, man. I, I, th I think it's an incredibly powerful tool, um, but I see it as a tool. And I think everything is um, used for either useful time or just waste of time you've heard me whether say it. it's tv or whether it's cable oh, or anything you know that you, stuff you've heard me say it at least however many times you've heard this show technology is the greatest worst thing ever invented yeah that's accurate i don't know if i came up with that or if i heard somebody say it couldn't tell you i'm not taking credit for it because i don't give a shit i just say it all the time because I, I started telling my students that because i kept getting the well i can figure it out on youtube okay yeah, good job buddy cracked me up yeah I hear that all the time. I know you do. <laughs> I know. You can, YouTube, then, it can do it. <laughs> then, yeah, why are you here? Yeah, why are you here? <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. I got other shit yeah. to do. And is, and that is the reason why I say what I say at the end of every episode. Go do some yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. I love that. It's a great catchphrase. Thank you. I, yeah. I, I, I adopted it. I used to say I stole it, but I didn't really steal it. I just adopted it. There you go. Uh, from a guy named Gary V. Uh, it's actually Gary Vaynerchuk, but he goes by Gary V. Yeah. Uh, super, super badass dude. He's, um, I guess you could call him now, he's kind of turning into a motivational speaker by accident. Mm -hmm. uh, very short story about him. He, his, He's a Russian immigrant. He moved over here when he was like six or some five or whatever the hell he was. And his dad started one of the very, very first e-commerce businesses. He started an online wine company. Hmm. And when Gary was 19, he took it over from his dad. His dad was making profit around six hundred grand a year. He took it over, and within a year and a half, he turned it into a three million dollar business. Damn, super fucking smart dude. Yeah, and I somebody turned me on to him, and at the end of one of his, what he calls keynote speeches, the end of one of his keynotes, he said, "Go do shit, <laughs> fuck out of here and go do shit." And I yeah. went, "That is the coolest thing ever." Everything else he said, that was the coolest thing he said. Yeah. Because I, I, I like it. It's yeah, true. It's, yeah. Go it, do something. I don't give a fuck what it is. Go do something. Yeah. And look at the end of your day and see what you've done. See what you've accomplished. <laughs> if you've, if your your primary uh, accomplishment for the day is pushing two buttons and looking at a CRT. <laughs> 
I don't think you've really accomplished much. Now, you know, great. There are some championships for video gamers out there, and apparently they make quite a bit of money. But they do. I think statistically speaking, you're probably not yeah. going to be among them nope, any so more much. than you will be in the major leagues or uh, playing uh, basketball for the NBA or on the PGA circuit. Or, or be the next Rihanna. Yeah, Rihanna. Exactly. So, got to keep the music in there somehow. Yeah, of course. Yeah. No, I, but, but that's where I got that from because I, I myself have... You follow me on Facebook enough to know I don't post a whole lot of shit. Now, I am by no means saying that I'm great at managing my time because I have had instances where I look down at the time and go, I've been scrolling for 20 minutes. Yeah. What the fuck <laughs> am I reading? What am I looking at? Yeah. So, I'm, I mean, I'm guilty. Don't. I'm not saying that I'm the same because God knows I'm not. But I, I am like you. I try to be hyper aware of it. Yeah. I'm like, okay, what's going on? What's going on? Not important. Ooh, that's important. Oh, okay, cool. So and so's playing. All right, sweet. Yeah. And then I'm done. Yeah. I, I beat it, or I promote this show, or wherever I'm playing, or any of that kind yep. of shit. Yep. I told you the other day, uh, one of my buddies passed away, and he's a songwriter in town. And I found myself reading everybody's post and paying and listening to his songs, and I felt that was a really good use of my time. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so I was on for a couple hours one night, and I was like, just paying tribute to Mickey Clark. I was like, man, mm-hmm. this guy is a fabulous human being and a great songwriter and a friend of mine. And I felt that that was a good use of my time on that. That absolutely. You know, and then now I mean, I'm we all did it when Kevin McCreary yeah. passed last year. Yeah. I mean, I, that was one of the longest posts I've probably written in a couple of years. I don't know if you read it or not. It doesn't matter if you did. I'm not throwing you under the bus or yeah. putting you on the spot. I'm just saying that post was fucking long, and I did it because I knew so many people would read it. Yeah. And that's how I felt. Yeah. Agreed. Great use of my time for that particular instance. Yeah. But every day no. for 47 hours a day? No, fuck yeah, that. Right. Go do some shit, man. Yeah, go do some shit. Go do some shit. Yeah, get off your ass and do some shit. God damn, get off your ass and do some shit. You're, you know you're going to have to do that again at the end. Right? Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm keeping that one. All right. You can do it twice. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so let's move on to stories from the stage. <laughs> All right, so what do you got for me? Stories from the stage. It can be good, bad, ugly, indifferent. I'll leave it up to you. Uh, tons of stories. It's like there's <laughs> nothing that you just go, well, Are you turning red? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> I was, when you, when you had that segment of the, that, that, there's one story that keeps coming to mind where I was, and I'm just going to make this as generic as possible. I was playing a show, and I was on stage playing guitar in a full band, and we were had this groove going, and it was just a sick groove. And I was singing a song, and a girl came up behind me, and she was dancing. And I thought, okay, great, she's on stage, and no one's taking her off stage. She takes off her top, and I'm playing, and I'm singing the song, and then she starts <laughs> grinding against me from the back, <laughs> naked. At least from the top up. (laughs) And my only thought was, don't forget the words. Don't forget the chords. Just keep playing, man. (laughs) So I didn't. I just did my job as a pro would and just get through it. And uh, there's um, now you're turning red. I'm turning red because I'm trying to contain this because from now on, I really want to call you BB. Yeah. For booby back. (laughs) Or back boob, either one. 
Let's just leave that there. This is years ago. What's up, BB? Land, land far, far away in a different time. <laughs> so you wanted a story from the stage. That's one. Yeah. So maybe we should what just up, leave BB? it there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Then if I, you want to leave it there, I will give you one because yeah, I haven't let's given hear. one in a while. I was... I don't even remember what city I was in. I was on a uh, short run, probably four or five shows. And it, it has to do with what you're, what just happened to you. <laughs> I've been fortunate because I'm a drummer. I don't get people that come back there. Uh, most people that listen to the show have seen me play. They know I'm kind of all over the place. But it's just inherent. People just don't go near drums. I don't know if it's because it's loud or because if the guitar players and the singer are just closer. Don't know the reason. Don't care. But over the years, I've been pretty fortunate. I don't have people come back there fucking with me. Yeah. So we were on this this short run, and um, we're doing a thing. And it's just a modern rock band. Uh, so there was some alcohol and all that shit flowing. Not for me, because I don't. I never drink when I play. Yeah. Everybody knows that about me. Yeah. Uh, so people were. It was later in the night, and I'm playing, and I'm. I just happened to look over to my left, and kind of. I guess there was a like a little walkway-ish. Even though we came on stage, stage right, there was a little walkway on stage left. And I look over, and there's this chick in a thong. And that's it. <laughs> and I'm playing, I'm like, well, at least she's cute. <laughs> and I didn't think anything else about it. I just kept going. It's amazing to me that girls can get naked in a bar or a club... Nothing ever happens. No, it's, hey, look no, at him. Just, yeah. Guy gets naked in a club. You're going to jail, man. There's a, a buddy of mine said, hey, you got you to remember this. If, if some guy comes up to you with a gun, he said, he goes, this is how you get out of it. Just pull your pants down and start walking towards him. He said, he'll run faster than shit. <laughs> Say, come here, come here. That is so true. So anyway, oh. go ahead. So anyway. <laughs> So we, we go into the next song, and I have very good peripheral vision. People, just a fact. I, she's getting closer. I'll keep playing and so <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, she's not. There's no way in hell. Before I know it, she runs up, jumps on my riser, flops one of her breastuses on my cymbal. They, like my closest crash to my left, <laughs> which is right above my hi-hat. So packed room. I presume you need it. Well, I mean, I didn't at that point because I would have chopped her titty off. <laughs> There's no other way to say that. If I didn't I'm hit that crash, with you, dude. <laughs> gone. Yeah, right. No titty. Yeah. <laughs> she would be the one tit wonder. <laughs> She'd be B. <laughs> She'd be B, yes. You would be BB, she would be B. Uh, no, so I'm standing I'm sitting there playing going. This chick just put a titty on my symbol. I don't know if I'm upset or if this is the greatest thing ever. I was so confused. And right? that's what made it so bad. Yeah. Yeah. I was just confused. It's like, I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, Does not compute. This no, has never see, happened. This has never happened. No one, no one prepared me for this. This is never going to happen again. <laughs> Who puts their titty on a symbol? Yeah. I mean, I'm all about those. Everybody knows this about yeah. me, so it's not like it's a secret. But still, it's like, who does that? You're right. And then security came and Missed picked her up youth. and took her off. Yeah, Hell, and then she was you. doing the whole that you see it in every movie, yeah. kicking the kicking feet and, and screaming, yeah, yeah, kicking and screaming. And I'm going. <laughs> so within a span of two songs, Chip comes on stage in a thong, puts her tits on my cymbal, and then gets drug off by a big fat sweaty guy. 
I cannot make this shit up. Nope. <laughs> no one can make the stories up that you go through. Nope. On stage. So uh, yeah. that was uh, that was it, it, when you told me the about the the boob back, booby yeah. back, boob back. Yeah. It reminded me of that. That's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> we have seen some shit, sir. Yeah, man. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we had a uh, conversation the other day, and we'll leave it at that. Yeah. We had a conversation the other day, and you were telling me about your dad opening for somebody, or somebody <laughs> opening for your dad. Tell me, that tell was, that real quick. Yeah, I did. Because that's awesome. I came home for dinner one night and when I was in college, and... Um, my dad was telling stories. He said something about doing a tour in Greenwich Village, and they had a residency there, I think, for a little bit. And then he would drive back, and um, he said with his band, The Capsons, that uh, Robert Zimmerman had opened up for them uh, that night. And then he started, and then he kept going on. And I go, stop! I go, what did you just say? I need you to stop talking yeah. for a second. And he said, well, we were doing this club. And I said, no, who opened up for you? And he said, well, it was a kid. He was just starting out, and his name was Robert Zimmerman. And I said, you know who that is? He goes, well, yeah, of course I know who that is. He goes, but he was going by Robert Zimmerman at the time. I said, that's Bob Dylan. And he goes, yeah, yeah. He was in the same circuit that we were in. So I guess when he was first starting out, he was doing local coffee houses and things like that. And my dad's band was there. And he had, Bob Dylan got up on stage and did some songs. <laughs> you know what makes that so bad? That your, your, your pop just spit it and just let it roll out of his mouth like it was no big deal. Yeah, he, he did another one. He was I was telling you that he said he went to dinner with a friend of his and she had invited mm-hmm. her friend and they were going to go see a show out in San Francisco. They were out in San Francisco and so he met this fella for dinner and, and his friend Susan was there and they had been in broadcasting for years and years before and um, then they went to his show and then um, they were backstage and then they went out for drinks later and I said, well, who was and he goes, ah, uh, some Chris Isaac Sky. I don't know. He sounded really good. He's got a really nice voice. <laughs> All right. Cool, Dad. <laughs> Only wrote one of the biggest hits in the last 20 years. So, cool story, bro. Yeah. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> He's got a bunch of those, man. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to what are you listening to? All right, so what are you jamming on? What's got your little ear balls all happy and shit? Well, I can answer that honestly. I was, I've been listening to a lot of Pat Metheny and Hiram Bullock and Jaco Pastores over the last three weeks. I had a lot of work I was doing um, at home and some wall repair, for lack of a better discussion. Yeah, I know you love you love home repairs. <laughs> so, I had a big block of my day where I had to do nothing but this stuff around the house. And I don't know if I should pick on you or feel sorry for you. Yeah, please feel sorry for me. <laughs> it was not fun. And I uh, I put my headphones on and I stacked up 20 Pat Metheny albums and I just went through and then I mixed those up with some Jocko albums and nice. Hiram Bullock. And recently I've been digging further into Hiram's stuff because I just think the world of his playing. Um, are you familiar with Hiram? Nope. Don't have a clue. Okay, so... The other two, obviously, yes. Yeah, Hiram studied... Pat Metheny was his first guitar teacher and uh, Hiram is otherwise known as the black guy in Paul Schaefer's band. 
The world's fucked up. Well, the world's most dangerous band had one of the greatest guitar players ever, uh, Hiram Bullock, and uh, he is the uh, he is the guy who was back there with bare feet and just playing his ass off, man. I'll have to I'll have to check some of his stuff out. I actually read I started to read Paul Schaefer's book and it annoyed me. It's good. You get to the end. I mean, he's got a lot of stories in there, and it's it's a nice bio- autobiography. It's not. I mean, we can do a book review here too. <laughs> well, he's, but he's 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 very Paul is very, name drop name drop name drop. That's did what this, I was name drop, say. Name, the, yeah. Through the whole book, but that's his personality, though. Right. Uh, but um, back to Hiram. His yeah. shit is fucking amazing. His his playing's amazing. Paul even in his book said he's perhaps the greatest musician he had ever worked with because his memory and his knowledge and his just facility with the instrument and his creativity was just off the off the wall man nice and then later on in later on in his life my brother my middle brother michael got to know hiram fairly well um and they hung out a lot together so they became really good friends and when hiram passed away uh his wife called my brother and said i don't know if you know and i thought wow so i gotta dig a little bit further into his stuff so Damn, there was really a connection cool. yeah it was really a yeah, cool connection and i thought i'd you know see if i could transcribe some of his stuff and just learn some some of what he did there you so, go yeah. that brainiac shit again whatever you're all fucking smart. You're all fucking smart. Shut up. You're all smart. Yeah. You know whose autobiography, if you haven't read, I know you don't have to do shit, but if you haven't read it, have you read uh, Life by Keith Richards? I don't have to do shit. I know. I never said you had to. I just was recommending it. It's a great autobiography. No, I have not read it. He, uh, that one, Sammy Hagar's, oh, get it, and there's that. another one. Uh, I have a. I don't know where it is. Even though we're in my office, I can't remember where I put my list. Because you can see I have a shit ton of books over there. Yeah, man. You can't see it because of where I had to move the map, but the bottom shelf is all my rock books, all my autobiographies and shit. Um, But I read a lot. I really do. But uh, the Keith Richards one, Sammy Hagar's, and there was another one somebody was telling me about was really fucking good. (laughs) Marilyn Manson's is a hoot. Really? (laughs) It's really funny, man. What? There's some scenes. There's some. There's some chapters in there. I was holding my sides, laughing. I was so. I mean, I have to just check that his one out. life was seemed to be pretty fucked up um, when he was a kid. But he writes about it in a pretty funny way. He's just a. I mean, he he created that that thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. and and he he was just a journalist basically who decided that he wanted to be a rock star. And, uh, and for him, he yeah, did it. He yeah, figured out he, how to do it. He cleared, clearly figured out how to do it. So. Um, one of my favorite ones was uh, one of my favorite one was Storm Large. Have you ever heard of her? <laughs> she was on a show years ago. She's on one of the first, uh, I guess, more singing reality shows. Not that wasn't American Idol or Voice type thing, any of that kind of stuff. Which I dig that stuff. We will not have a discussion about that because most of my musician friends think I'm an asshole and I'm stupid for liking that shit. But those bands can play ten times better than any of the fucking people we know. Yeah, those bands are good. That's half the reason why I watch show. Anyway, yeah. there was a show called Rockstar Supernova. Uh, it was on in like 2005, 2006, and it was that band that Tommy Lee had with Jason Newstead and Gilby Clark, and they were looking for a singer. Yeah, she was on that show. Um, she wrote her memoir. It's kind of it's a shorter one, and she's done some amazing music. She's a phenomenal singer, but she has. Bipolar and schizophrenia. Oh, wow. And she writes about it and how she dealt with it and coming up with it and watching her mom deteriorate from it. But the reason it's so cool is because her sense of humor and her wit, 
I, I was doing kind of like what you were talking about the Marilyn Manson thing. I was busting. I was laughing my ass off at the shit she was writing. Wow. And how she dealt with it and how she got to where she is and all that shit. Honest with herself about oh, it. Oh, yeah. And then shared it with everybody. Yeah, That's absolutely. really cool. Yeah, I like stuff like that. Yeah, that one was too. really good. The, the one that surprised the shit out of me was uh, Paul Stanley's book, A Life Exposed. Right on. And the one that really threw me for a loop that I have told a million people to read was Dee Snyder's book, Pass Me the Mic. That book is fucking amazing. I didn't realize how smart that guy is. A lot of people don't give him enough credit. He's super fucking smart. Yeah. Really, really smart guy. He's just, he's so outlandish and he's so far out there. Yeah. In kind of the way he acts and the whole Twisted Sister thing and all that shit. But he's a smart motherfucker. I couldn't put that book down. I'll so, check it out. Yeah, some, I like him. Good books. Yeah, yeah um, and the other guy um, that's um, oh Gene Simmons, brilliant. <laughs> He's a brilliant man. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. It's like everybody thinks. Yeah, well, everybody, not everybody. A lot of people. A lot dog of people. On him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm thinking. Psh- He's a genius. He's a he's a, a mogul. He's an entrepreneur. You know him and say Mark Cuban say the same thing all the time. You can fail as many times as you want. You only have to be right once. Yeah. And then you look at a guy like Gene Simmons. How many fucking times has that dude been right? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you. He wins. He can have his helmet <laughs> hair. He doesn't give a shit what you think about it. Right. <sighs> yep. So that's what I'm listening to. And what else? Um, I go classic, man. I don't listen to a whole lot of new stuff unless I'm working on it for a gig but I go backwards and I listen to like Django Reinhardt and Wes Montgomery and stuff like that nice you ever heard of uh, a band called Paris Combo no I would assume Check them it's, out. it's a uh, Django Grappelli kind of combo or what is it it is a French jazz I can't remember if it's four or five of them I was going to say quartet but I can't remember if it's four or five of them they sing everything in French but the guitar player Sounds a lot like Django, hmm. but it's a little bit more modern stuff. I think that came out in, I'm going to say mid-90s. I could be way off on that, mm-hmm. but uh, they have a record. They have a few records out, but they have a record called Living Room that I absolutely love. I'll check them out. Yeah, it's got a, but the guitar player reminds me a lot of Django, and I'm not a huge Django fan, but I know that sound. Yeah. You can't mistake Django Reinhardt's sound. Right. Well, that's it, kids. That's the show for the week. What are you looking at me like that for? You didn't think I was going to cut you off that way, did you? <laughs> Show's over, motherfucker. Get out. Get your shit and get out. I'm out of coffee. I need another coffee. I got to right? get a coffee, man. I got to get a fucking I'm coffee. I got to go to New York in two get, days. I got to get my canvas. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited about that. I showed Stacey that and she goes, you know how much that's going to cost? And I said, do you know how much I don't care? Yeah. <laughs> you get what you want, man. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that on different episodes. Ah. Thank you for coming by, brother. My pleasure. It. Thanks for inviting me. It's Absolutely. always uh, great hanging out with you. It is. You're so cute. Playing music or just chilling and, and talking, man. I know. I yeah. We you and I have, we've had some cool conversations, and it's like I said before. I say it every episode, but I'm saying it to you because you're sitting here. It's cool that I get to know people even more because of this pretty microphone in between us. Yeah. It, it's it's kind of cool. I think it's. I don't want to say it's a, a, a barrier breaker, but there's just something about it. People just tend to open up more. Sure. And I don't mean, because you've listened to enough of my shows, I'm not digging for dirt. I don't give a fuck about that. None, yeah. none of that matters. But it's just the cool stories, the stuff that you've done. Like, I, I didn't, I've been thinking about it since I said it at the beginning. I didn't know that you played violin. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't know that you had two brothers. One was in a band, a signed band. I right. had no idea. Yep. I knew some of it about your dad because you told me that story about the Zimmerman. That was yeah, funny yeah. shit. Yeah. I almost spit my 
whatever the hell I was eating the other day when we were having that conversation. That's pretty funny. But thank you for coming by, dude. I appreciate it. Thank you, Stephen. It, it is it is awesome being your friend. Yeah, it's awesome man. to have got to know you. Yeah, looking forward to the next chapter too. Yeah, we got it. We got a next chapter, don't we? <laughs> That's gonna be fun. Yeah, and we're not gonna tell you what it is. So thank you. We are out of here. We're out of time. And uh, as I say at the end of every episode, go do some shit. Go do some shit. And do some shit. Go do some shit. Get on, get on up, get on up, and go out and do some shit. Go do some shit. Go do some shit. I need you to calm down. Okay. Did you get it all out? Are you good? So until next time, I will talk at you soon. <laughs>